Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. This conversation is one that many people have been skirting around for a long time. So 2020, the summer of 2020 kind of brought about some conversations that organizations just were not ready to have. And as a part of those conversations, we started to see the influx of of discussion around social justice in the workplace and what that looks like and restorative justice and what does that look like? And so we're going to bring that conversation to you all today by talking to two women that do this work full time, that do this work across not just organizations, but I mean, not just corporate, but other organizations, other entities within our communities. And so today we're talking to Emma Kayla Gaston and Unique Holland. So welcome, ladies. Hi, thank you so much for having us, Sasha. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you both. Thank you both. (laughs) So I want to first start by asking the question, like, how are you all defining restorative justice? Hmm. That's a good one. I think that um, it varies depending on who you're with and how you are approaching the conversation around justice. I think restorative could be about healing justice within yourself. It could be about restoring justice between two people who are having conflict. Um, It could be about restoring justice in the community and our country at large. Um, But I think for me personally and for our organization, World Trust, uh, restorative justice is really about all of the different practices that weave together social justice, healing, and radical imagination, which are the three pillars of our kind of communal teachings that we try and give to all the different organizations that we work with that are nonprofit, be they corporate, be they government, all of these things. We try and approach it from a way that utilizes arts as advocacy um, and really puts healing at the core center of it with co-liberation for all in mind. Wow. Thank you. Can you tell us a little, can you talk about those three pillars a little bit more and why those are so important as we're having these conversations? Sure. Yeah. I I would um, um, add to what Amakela was sharing about um, the restorative justice space. I really see an important piece of this is around creating rebalancing um, in places of of harm, right, and and doing that in a way that centers those that are harmed. And so when we look at these three center, the three pillars of our work, um, at the center of the, the pillar are this idea of um, healing, really um, acknowledging the harm that has taken place, and um, all of the nuances and ways that um, it continues to uh, fester, really wanting to pay attention to that and center uh, how we heal from that work. And then radical imagination being a really, really important piece of being able to see where we want to go. If we can't envision, if all we're doing is um, kind of depicting 
all of the harm repeatedly. Um, we're not able to orient towards the helpful places where we can thrive together. We've got to be able to see and imagine that. And then the social justice where, okay, we bring that vision of, of healing and wholeness um, and community, and we bring it to the present and we see how we can live that out today. And we work together to do that. You know, I, I so appreciate kind of your framing of this conversation, because as you're talking, I'm thinking of the work, you know, that I do with my clients. And a lot of that starts with what's, what's the vision statement? Like we do an inclusive culture vision statement and folks are just like, why, why are we doing this? But I'm like, what, what is this future state? Where do you want to be? Um, and then how do we get there? Like, how do we close the gap in where we are now and how do we get there? And so that healing process is one that I think so many people take for granted in the, the larger scheme mm -hmm. of things, because there is harm, there is hurt, um, there is constant pain for some people, mm -hmm. right? And we're seeing this in um, what they're calling, you know, quiet quitting and, and people opting out of the workplace right. because they are like, no, I want to help. I need to be in a better place where I'm healed or I'm starting that healing process and being mm -hmm. in this environment is toxic to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and believing. We, we, oh, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Nina, <laughs> I go ahead. get excited about this stuff because, you know, one of the things that I say often is that, you know, I can't heal outside of nine to five, right? Like how much time mm. are we spending in the work that we do and with the people that we work with, right? If that is the place where a significant amount of our healing has to happen, that's one important thing. The other thing is that a healing process is communal. We've got this idea and this message, we've been conditioned that, you know, you go home and you deal with your stuff yourself, right? Get yourself together, fix your face, come back in there. Um, that's not how... <laughs> That's not how it works. That's my phrase right there. Fix your face. Yes. <laughs> We're all walking around with these masks on, right? And um, not getting to the work at hand. So we really create spaces within organizations for folks to do the work with one another, starting from wherever they are, so they can bring themselves. Because going back to that quiet quitting piece, we can't make change if people are not stepping forward. We need people to be in their full empowered stance and dignity to do this work from wherever they are. Absolutely. Ami. You know, I was just going to add to that. You know, I think a lot of people, particularly in corporate spaces, um, don't believe that the structure that's currently in place is willing to even entertain this possibility mm -hmm. for change, for healing, for hearing people whose voices have been traditionally like squelched. So they do quietly quit. I mean, I know a lot of folk who are folk of color are like, I'm just, I don't, I don't have the energy, the space, the time to be teaching y'all, thinking about y'all. I, I, you know, I'm trying to get out of here so I can go home and heal after five because that's the only space that feels safe. And we, we keep the schism there when we don't foster the desire, the radical imagination, the, the wherewithal to create bridges for safe space and brave space within places that traditionally have caused the harm. Um, you know what? I'm just, my wheels are turning in my head because, <laughs> you know, so much of, and, you know, part of the reason why this show is called DEI After Five has been because they were conversations I was having with friends and colleagues in this space about this work mm -hmm. after work, right? It's like, I can't deal with that foolishness. Mm -hmm. 
here. So let's have this conversation here. And we created this community of healing and coping to some degree on how we can go back to the foolishness in a way that was a little <laughs> bit healthier for us yes. as practitioners, right? So it's mm-hmm. everything that you're saying just aligns so much with my experience and what I've seen in this space. Mm-hmm. The question that then comes to my mind is what does healing look like? Can I just add to what you just said too? Because (laughs) what what, what came to mind, you know, especially the coping, when you said coping, I was like, that is so real, especially for black women. Like we just have to call out the intersectionality of the places that we live because it's more than just, you know, the racism, it's the sexism, it's all of the isms that coalesce with all of us. And so our level of coping, our level of healing, our level of fixing face and, um, you know, really handling past foolishness, post five, Mm. let me get my, you know, glass of whatever and sit down and and de-stress and talk to other women of color that can relate and we can actually truly relax that level of healing that is part of the healing for me like that has to happen that has to happen that safe space has to be there um but then how do we fortify ourselves because you know our health is is suffering we're suffering from all of this and just just intergenerational trauma and harm i mean it just goes all the way back 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 we've been holding the bottom of the bottom up for all these years all these centuries yeah so for us to be able to fully heal, we have to have, I think we should have a mandatory every Friday, everybody get to go. You know, I'm like there needs to be some kind of way in corporate space for us, to, for that to be acknowledged and recognized. That's part of reparations for us, right? We get extra because we've been harmed extra. And yeah. I think that that is part of our healing. And part of our healing is also owning the fact that we are in pain and we can fall apart and it's not deemed, you know, like fix your face. When Unique says that, we talk about that all the time, all the ways we have to remain stoic for the family, for the church, for the work, for the da 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 da, all the ways that we have to stay on point. That's exhausting. And so part of our healing has to be acknowledging that there has to be a space where we can fall apart to put ourselves back together to make ourselves whole again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Liquid to the soul. Um, 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 um. <laughs> you know, because I mean, I talk so much around um, self-care for people that do this work, mm-hmm. right? And and my journey in this work, and you know, you spoke on it when you know I dealt with hair falling out and yes. ulcers and anxiety and stress and all of that. I was just Eating teeth. It was manifesting in the my weathering body. is real. Yes. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And it got to a point where I was like, is this worth my health? No, it's not. And so had to really think about what does self-care look like for me in this time? Mm. Um, and it just happened to be kind of right during the start of the pandemic as well. Mm. So it forced me to really think about my own healing, my own journey, um, and where where I do my best work, mm. right? Like, where what does that look like? Mm. And some of that is who do I say no to? Mm-hmm. What spaces affirm who I am? Mm. Yeah. Um, what spaces pull my energy in such a yeah. way that I it takes me a longer time to fill that cup? Yes. Um, and who some of those triggers are, <laughs> not what, but who. <laughs> ah, 
I was just That's like, right. I can't. So, you know, as you all do this work, um, I mean, you spoke about music in the arts yes. as being a part of this. And, you know, as someone that was a dancer, um, I did ballet for 22 years. Oh, and wow. That was kind of <laughs> part of my outlet. You know, and then I started, I did belly dancing for a while. Yeah. And, you know, all of these things, because that that just fills my cup, right? Those mm-hmm. fill my cup. How does this look when you're talking to organizations or corporations about how all of this comes together? How does the arts play into that? Absolutely. That's such a great question. And, you know, it's so great because, you know, Unique is also, she does theater, like does art. She's an actress and a, anyway, I'll let her talk about herself. But <laughs> I know for me, one of the things that I've noticed, especially when we go into places like we've, we've worked at Disney, we worked with, you know, Pixar, like these big giant places, Google. Um, when we play music at the beginning, people are like, oh, like immediately they step into another headspace. Then mm-hmm. we start playing film clips that we're going to talk about. Then they're like, oh, like their hearts just start cracking open. And there's a way that the arts allow that kind of chrysalis that we're all like, oh, I gotta be so, you know, professional, mm-hmm. you know, that breaks open. It, it We stop messing with that. It's, it stops being part of the form. And, you know, that that's part of, you know, white dominant culture, right? This is what professionalism looks like. This is what, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of bias that is already in place. So when we break that, when we walk through the door as the experts in the room to try and help people talk about these difficult conversations and we're playing music and we're engaging in things like embodiment practices like the conocimiento where we have people ground and breathe and focus on different things and meditate for a moment and kind of get in their bodies again they're thrown off they're like what's happening we put them front and center when they're healing in a way that's activated as opposed to like when you go home make sure you take a bath you know like it's it's more than that we're having them do it in real time. And part of that is music, film, theater, like these different ways that we do it with folk right there while they're sitting in their horrible cubicle. Hopefully they're not in a cubicle, (laughs) but whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it gives them a moment of reprieve and it's part of the day. And it's, it's very, very effective. It's really an, an incredible thing to watch people go, Ooh, I want to play, you know, like they wake up again, like, oh, their little inner child is activated. Like, yay. Yeah. And one thing I would add to that, if I could, to yeah. the the um kind of creative uh place, um, the, the the arts provide an invitation for people to connect with the multiple parts of themselves and yes. the parts of themselves that are dreaming and hoping and wanting to be uh, safe and wanting to enjoy, right? And um, Mm. we have a way of being, as Amakail was saying, in these kind of professional spaces, which are, um, you know, uh, contained by white uh, dominant culture that, you know, it's all in the head and what you can say and Mm. um, how much you know. and, um, And when we take a minute to drop down into the body, where a lot of this harm is stored unconsciously, where a lot of these patterns are replicated in unconscious ways, um, we are creating an opening and an invitation to do something different. So we use, um, as Ami mentioned, somatic practices, we use uh, lines of inquiry, uh, questioning and strategic questioning to do that. We use play. So inviting like beginner's mind, uh, inviting people to not know the answer to everything and be in charge of everything and Mm. drop down into exploration. And uh, arts really support us in being able to do that. 
You know, y'all said something. That's ooh, my Southern just came out. <laughs> we were like, yes, we were all right there with you. <laughs> but it took me there. But it's it's honestly um, connecting the right and the left brain. Yes. Right? That's right. Work is so left brain. Yes. Like it's so rigid and logical and, you know, in the arts, the creative side of things we rarely tap into. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that, especially if I'm doing things around like psychological safety and work, that's one of the things that I hear so often from employees is like, I just want to be creative, right? I don't want to mm. hear this is the way that we always do things. No one's listening to my ideas. No one wants to hear what I have to say. And it's that need to want to contribute. It's that, and that's stage three, right? I want to contribute. So there's this need of wanting to contribute, but be able to think outside the box and be creative and explore and express. And I, that's where innovation happens. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And you know, Absolutely. when you see places like Google and you go, you go to their corporate headquarters and you see things like a trampoline and a bicycle and a tricycle and cereal and like, like all these things, like Unique was saying, their inner kid wakes up and they're suddenly asked to be imaginative and they're encouraged to be imaginative and think outside of the box. All kinds of things happen, all kinds of possibilities. And it's really interesting when we go to places and we ask them to radically imagine something different, they are so stuck because they've never been asked to do that before. They're yeah. like, um, a new sign on the bathroom. You know, like it's, it's very still within the confines <laughs> of right. <laughs> it takes a minute to get people to think about like the possibility of things actually being equitable. Like yeah. that, it, it almost feels like they just can't fathom it. And then we have to remind people, you know, women didn't used to be able to vote. Now they can. It took a, a minute, but we have to continue to believe. And a lot of this is more than just imagining that it's possible, believing that it's possible, tapping into that place of faith. And like Unique was saying, hope has been lost in so many of these places, asking people, and that's part of the restorative justice piece as well, like getting people to believe again that it is possible that they actually can talk to one another and it doesn't have to be, can I ask a question? You know, like this whole, <laughs> this deference that's false and based in like, I, I want to be woke, but I just don't know how, you know, this kind of thing. We're just trying to, you know, like we're trying to escort Karen out of the room. Like we don't need that, that portion of the program to be part of the conversation. We want people to be engaged as equal little kids. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, really? Oh I mean, think about, like, <laughs> I've had so many conversations with folks trying to do this the right way. Mm. Right. <laughs> you know what? It has to look like this. And I'm like, well, why? Right. Um, or I've been asked, you know, well, what is your package that looks? And I'm like, every organization is unique. You have a different culture. You have different challenges. You have different personalities. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so how creativity looks here will look very different over here. Mm -hmm. Right. I have, um, you know, a client that's a cancer center. That's going to look very different than my clients that's in the music industry. Mm -hmm. That's going to look, I mean, extremely different. Truly. Um, and so as you all are doing this work and as you all are, are talking to folks, what are some of the biggest obstacles that mm. they're facing? You kind of touched on it just now. Um, but talk a little bit more about some of those obstacles that really prevent people from showing up in the right ways in these spaces. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think one of the you know key obstacles that were mentioned earlier was this sense of hopelessness and a sense of needing to, um, I think this idea of incremental work gets mm. in the way and trips up a lot of people. Um, mm. You know, drawing within the lines around what they conceive as possible without even taking the space to think really deeply about what's really possible. Um, but the other thing, another thing that I would say is um, a real challenge uh, around um, uh, getting people together is to uh, trust in one another, that mm -hmm. it's a container where the work can happen. And I won't say a safe container, right? We use this um, phrase, uh, brave space, brave. safe space, yeah. right? So yeah. that folks can step into um, and supporting people through the process of you will be uncomfortable, period. It's, this is not something that's going to feel good because this kind of transformative anti-racism work is uh, change work that uh, is something that we're not used to and it's gonna feel uncomfortable. It's okay, <laughs> let's walk through this together. Um, when we work with large organizations, um, we spend uh, a, quite a bit of time to build a container of trust and community so that people can show up as themselves. It's important that um, we don't get lost in this idea of projecting uh, the, the good person in this work. I'm a good person, and so I know what to say and how to move and how to behave. And I, I think that gets in the way of progress. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's so true. Um, and I, 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 both of you all hit it. The thing that I think is the toughest is they're wanting that checklist, like step one. Yeah. 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 Okay, we did that. Check it off. Step two. Da, 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 da. Like really having it be very formulaic. And um, when it's gooey and it's emotional and you don't know where it's going, people do not like not knowing. No. They, they, we have been programmed <laughs> since we were kids. This plus this equals this. This is the grade yeah. I'm going to get. You know, like I have right. a kind of a clear picture. where When you're asking people to step into the darkness and trust that you can keep walking forward, they're <laughs> like, ah, you know, like it's it's really triggering. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, that's why a lot of people don't believe in psychotherapy and why, you know, right. black folk, you know, we're now just recognizing that we, it's okay to say we need mental health help. You know, like it's, it's something that um, is stepping into the new right now. Like people are starting to, to realize that they can claim calling for help is okay. You know? And so um when we tell people we're not, we we have a checklist, but we're not going to send it to you in a PDF form so you could just kind of check out and check the list and be done with it. And well, I said blah, 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 these words, um, we're asking you to start really feeling intuitively, you know, like these things freak people out and they're not trying to do it. So that's that's an obstacle that we're slowly starting to see people with time. Like it's not, you can't do a two hour session and Good luck, everyone. Right. It's it's a it's a deep dive. And so it takes so we've we've really started entering into long-term engagements way more than like these quick hits in the yeah. DEI work that we've been doing. And it's really past that. It's really around communication. How do we talk to one another? How do you want people to talk to you? It's bigger than just like this is what equity looks like, this is what diversity looks like, this is what inclusion looks like. This is how you enact it. This is how you coexist within it. This is how we co-liberate together in these spaces. And that's, you know, tricky for people to not feel like they know what they're doing. You all are just, yes, singing <laughs> my tune. Singing my tune. Um, I had a session with a client yesterday and it's a small group that we're working with, like six people. 
and three of the people didn't show up. Wow. And <laughs> so rather than moving forward, the conversation was, well, what do we do when this happens? Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know what? Typically we would just move on without them. But I'm like, mm. who all created in our first session? This is the community. Mm. So what does this look like? And we spent a good portion of our time talking through what that would look like. They were making phone calls like, you need to be in this meeting. You signed up for this. So right I'm like, on. that's accountability looks like yes, yes. that's right that's right, right. and yes. so how do we because i'm like i could just easily say these are the five things that we're going to do and move past it but i'm like mm -hmm. this is community these are the hard conversations that's right this is what this looks like in motion that's right and spending that time is exactly it's that uncomfortableness that you talked about unique right like mm -hmm. y'all gonna have to get used to it y'all just right. gonna have to be <laughs> Comfortable and, and we can help you, you. Right, we can help you. And opting out is not an option, right? You can't just opt out. It's not it's not an option. And everybody ended up showing up and they had valid reasons why they weren't, you know, they were late, but they needed to have that conversation on in order to move forward because I'm right. like otherwise y'all would have been sitting stewing mad that y'all showed up and they didn't and that's how all of these challenges come up within the workplace. Truly. Let's have this conversation. So, you know, you said that and that just immediately came to my mind. The other thing that you all both mentioned um, was the importance of trust. Mm -hmm. And so many organizations, that is probably the primary challenge that they're working with. Mm -hmm. I don't trust that my boss has my back. I don't trust that my coworkers, you know, can do X, Y, and Z. Like there's so many issues of and mm -hmm. what trust looks like. Mm -hmm. So how do you start to build that trust? Mm -hmm. How do you start to break down some of those barriers um, so that people see there this is a give and take? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, as Ami mentioned before, uh, a lot of our work more recently has been um, the longer term engagements with organizations. We work in a cohort model and um, we spend a significant amount of time up front trying to create that container of trust. And it's there's some content around, you know, understanding, you know, system of oppression and understanding the history, the roots of um, uh, of colonization, its impact on our spaces. Um, but there's a significant amount of time that support people in showing up mm. <laughs> to reveal themselves. Um, and it's it's a scaffolded process that we do that involves the arts, that involves um, somatic practices. Mm -hmm. But it's important that to whatever degree that can be managed in the time that we have, that people are able to show up. And we found um, time and again, we've been doing this model now for you know over two years, going on three years. And the feedback at first, it's like really like shocking. People are like, I right. don't even know how I can. <laughs> what are you asking me to do here? And at the end of the process, they are surprised at how relieving it is, mm -hmm. even if the, the, you know, the major changes haven't happened yet in the organization in terms of policies and procedures. There is a sense of I can be here and I can work with folks because somebody here sees me and somebody here has my back. Right. And that happens through dialogue, through storytelling, through uh, playback theater. Through Shibuya. 
We do Shibuya. Let me tell you. You know Shibuya, right, Sasha? No. My name is Ami. Yeah, oh, yeah. And that's no lie. Yeah, and I'll be fabulous. Yeah, today as I say what? And you know, we that's get right. people doing call and response with each other. And just like Unique was saying, people are seen in a way where they get to say what they like and talk about what they were like as a child and get into mm -hmm. that personal place of um, here's who I be for real, for real, for real. Right. Like things that have nothing to do with work, and then and building suddenly you, culture and building culture and 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 building from a place. <laughs> I don't know if y'all remember romper room from back. Yeah. I see Bobby. I see Unique. I see Sa that being seen place. That basic Maslow's need. That hierarchy of needs. We all have the same thing. We need to feel safe. We need to feel seen. Yeah. We need to feel soothed. We need to feel secure. Those things have to be set up in place for trust to even the, even the word right. to come into the space. Yeah, love story. And so when you do playful things like Shibuya, when you're introducing yourselves and telling people your favorite flavor of pasta, the first time you recognize race, we scaffold down in these ways that allow people to go, oh, right, me too. And when you get people saying, me too, me too, me too, me too, yeah. me too in the room, it, it, it's beyond color, gender, you know, yeah, those identity structures that box us in. It, it, it's beyond that. And that's oh, where yeah. people start going, ooh, I had no idea. I've never talked to John like this before, you know, like, because it's right. beyond, yeah, this meeting. And, and we this... scaffold it too in terms of, so there's the connection around, you know, getting to know someone and their story and how they're showing up. And then there's the skill building around, well, how do you really, um, uh, how are you able to really listen to someone? There's a whole lot that we, <laughs> we don't learn about how to be present. Yeah. Be present for someone else. And we actually go through practices to support people on how to do that, how to ask genuine questions, how to kind of open up a space for another opinion to exist. If we can't mm. hold those and have those ongoing practices in the places where we're doing this change work, we're gonna remain stuck. And they take those practices home. They start implementing it in their households. They yeah. start implementing it in their spaces where they are with other folks. It's incredible to hear people come back and reflect like how this work. Why haven't we done this before? Why? Why? You know, <laughs> it's incredible. You know, I, again, I had a conversation today with an executive around: um, Are you listening to to respond, or are you listening to understand? Right. Mm. Because if you're listening to understand, you're asking additional questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was just like, mm -hmm. this is good. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not sure. <laughs> what, mm -hmm. what, what? Right. Like, let me write this down. <laughs> right. and, it's know, such a eureka moment. Like, right. <laughs> you're like, as my, my aunt would say, you know, light bulbs on. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, everything that you all are saying is, not huge changes, right? It's just small little things that you can do to hear or to see someone in a different way to care. Sure, yeah, share. Mm -hmm. Make sure that they feel valued, seen, heard, respected yeah. in the process of, of shifting culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the work that's the future of this work, right? It's no longer just workshops. It's no longer, I mean, we've talked about this. I don't do unconscious bias trainings. Um, <laughs> but what I do do is inclusive culture curation. Ooh. Right? Like how do you yeah. the inclusive culture. That's right. 
And how do we do it in a way where I'm not telling you what to do? You all are creating this yourselves so that yeah. when I yeah. leave, you can sustain it, right? 100%. So I'm going to do a little pivot and I'm going to ask you both. And Unique, we can start with you. How do you take care of yourself in all of this? Like, what do you do to fill your cup? I love this question. <laughs> I love this question because this was part of what got me into when I made the, the shift to do this work full time and recognizing that I could, I was in a, in a, for very selfish reasons, that's, you know, I want, I want to live in a world where I'm okay, right? Where I can mm -hmm. be supported and, and be healed. And, and recognizing that I couldn't just do that on my weekends and off hours. It's like, you know, and so I have this practice, a Jeff practice. <laughs> oh, <yay>. uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and part of this practice is around sharing it with others, sharing that I'm doing it, and especially with other Black women. And Jeff, J E P H, it's um, a kind of um, uh, uh, what do I what would I call it? Like a lens that I place on my daily activities, on my priorities, on how I'm moving through the world. My everything from my to-do list to, you know, um, how I, you know, what I'm doing with my life. And I put this lens over it and it is in this activity or decision that I'm making, how can I find more joy, ease, pleasure, or happiness? Mm. And I do it regularly and I do a Jeff check-in uh, at the end of the day. Like, what was this day like? Did I have some ease in my day? And Applying this lens, I found it really helpful for me who tends to uh, overcommit, tends to, um, you know, take on more, you know, the, the, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the pressure of having to do twice as much, th three times as much to be seen as valuable, recognizing how much power I have for myself to say, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. There, there's probably some place in here where I can find some ease for myself. Where can I find it? How can I find it? And making mm -hmm. the decision that way and seeing what happens. And it's been really, really supportive. And it's been really supportive to share this. So now I have these Jeff check-ins with folks that I haven't seen in a while. And, you know, so it's like, hey, Ami, what's going on? How's your Jeff doing? That's <laughs> right. People will just volunteer. So oh, my gosh, I have a Jeff check-in. It's really I beautiful. love it. Oh, my gosh. I love this. It's so, so brilliant. Yes, I love that. I mean, what about yes, you? I, so yes, she has gifted Jeff to me as well. <laughs> totally. I'm like, girl, my Jeff today. I had to I had a little more J than the than the F. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, um, I really, really um I'm just going to call it out, man, baby, especially through the pandemic. I needed comedy like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. I had to watch every stand-up comedian. Laughter to me is the medicine that heals my soul and just brings me total joy. So if it's hilarious, irreverent, joyful, you know, playful, not poking at folks, but, you know, just like being like, ha ha, we all laughing at each other and ourselves. I'm definitely there. Also a lot of, a lot more time with nature and water. Um, I have to get to the ocean, the river, the, the something, something, mama, mama water, mommy water. She, I gotta go 
get with that or out in, you know, taking a walk in the woods, something that allows me to come away from these screens because, you know, we are all constantly behind our screen. You know, like there's a TV, there's the computer, there's our phone and turning, getting away from all of that and going and getting some vitamin D and walking in sunshine and and putting my hands in the dirt, gardening, like getting back to nature in a way that allows me to ground and center and be quiet. Yes. And not have, you know, the bombardment of stuff constantly, you know, the to-do list is real and long and constant mm -hmm. um, to pull away from that and to just kind of be in nature and be silent with self. And um, yeah, that, that really is helpful. And also <laughs> being around kids. Oh, ho, ho, they are better than any TV oh. or comedy. They crack me up. And so being around little children and being reminded of my inner kid self and the 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 pleasure of accessing that inner little kid it it like halloween is coming listen either when you walk down <laughs> you walk past my house watch out buddy stuff is already starting to jump out i have more half my basement is halloween decorations <laughs> yes, exactly. yes i love it i love it yeah i um i have two 15 year old bonus boys and oh! Yeah, <laughs> and, well, but yeah, I'm laughing because I have like this really silly comedy. It's no longer on TV, so we find it on you know Prime or whatever we find it. And now I've gotten them hooked on it. So like, <laughs> I laugh at the fact that they're laughing at my foolish. Like what That's I think is great. hilarious. They are cracking up. So that just brings me so much joy. So talking yeah. about Jeff, like that's my J. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just. Yeah. <clears throat> Even if I'm like, y'all, y'all want to go watch Psych? They're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Psych. I love Psych. I'm like, this is what you need to do. Go <laughs> <laughs> we'll go watch totally. two episodes. I love but, it. So, love thank you both for being here. You know, I, I honestly love this conversation. Um, I think it talks about restorative justice in a way that is not politically charged mm -hmm. it is really around like what does this look like in practice mm -hmm. how does it help shift the conversation how does it um allow us as an organization or a team or what have you um really begin to look at who we are that's right as we move forward and that's so right. i appreciate that lens because Thank i think you. there's so much um, that's out there that's negative about this work. And mm -hmm. I think that this, this helps kind of bring it to light. Yeah. How can can I, I, yes. I'm sorry. I just wanted to chime in and say there's something else added to that, that scenario and positive things that are out there about restorative justice. We have a film that we put out called Healing Justice. Oh, just, yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're about to go there. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I just wanted to make sure that we let people know that there's a fantastic film created by Dr. Shakti Butler and her partner, Rick Butler, the founders of World Trust. You can find the link to it on our um, website worldtrust.org and we would love for people to see it we also have we have five documentary films that are there that speak specifically to these issues and we just want to make sure everybody knows it <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean that's exactly where i was going to like where could people find more information so the website is definitely there um thank you thank you both for this and thank you, you, Sasha, for doing this work and having this program and yeah. bringing this knowledge to the people. Pr truly. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all just filled my cup. So. Ah.
We jeffed you. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening or watching this episode of DEI After Five. I hope you were able to walk away with a few nuggets or your own Jeff of list that, of things that you want to do. Continue to tune in, subscribe. You can find us here every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. Until next time, have a good one.